welcome to Cafe with Strangers. Um, mm -hmm. Before I introduce my guest, just a little bit of a recap thing, because it's been a while since I've done that. We're two strangers. I have absolutely nothing. I know nothing about Rose here other than um, the questionnaire that she fills out for me. This is an open conversation between two people uh, talking about experiences as, as a Latina in, in America. So, Rose, if you would like to <laughs> load your hands. Well, my name's Rose. I was uh, born and raised in Hayward in the Bay Area. I am Native American and Mexican, uh, which people would argue that Mexican also falls into Native American also. Yeah. That's uh, another discussion for another time. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that's... Uh, pretty much who I am. I'm unemployed as of now, but I have worked retail for the last eight years. So working with the public, uh, there was a time between 2011 and 2016 where I lived in Humboldt County. And uh, there were a lot of experiences I feel there that uh, kind of singled me out as a brown person mm -hmm. in a very white space. Yeah, and, I've never uh, been there, but I've yeah, heard. heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people have heard of the... Uh, experiences that POC and other black people have had in Humboldt and it's a very complicated place but uh definitely felt like I needed to go back home to yeah. where I'm used to because it was a huge culture shock oh how old are you when you moved there I was 17 oh yeah, yeah. 17 first place I had ever moved in my life and uh, definitely felt like I probably should have stayed home done community college and then transferred but just didn't work what? out that oh, way. Oh, yeah, because there's a university there, right? Yeah, Humboldt State. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so I'll, I'll share like, a little bit about me right now. Um, I grew up in Idaho for a couple okay. of years. So I lived here, and then at like 11, almost 12, I moved to Idaho. Wow. So I understand like the culture shock part. I understand. <laughs> I can imagine the culture shock, yeah. but I can imagine how much, oh, how much more different it was for you. But it is uh, different, I think, for us who grew up here in the, or were born in the Bay Area, uh, it is a melting pot. And I think we are a little spoiled here when it comes to diversity. Uh, it's just something that we never questioned until we moved to those places and then realized and looked around and thought, oh, people do see me different here than they would if I were back home uh, where everybody looks like me or most people look like me going to school, elementary, middle school, high school. Yeah. And then to move into something like that was a, a big shock. But I I feel like through navigating those five years in Humble uh, was great because all of us kind of gravitated toward each other as mm -hmm. POC. So I found comfort in other people in that way, too. Yeah. Was that OK? So moving over to Humble culture, con country. County, country, county, Humboldt. <laughs> was that the first time that you um, started kind of going inwards, just like the like your towards your own identity, wondering more about it, questioning about it? Was that like the first time, or did you have any of those moments prior? Well, prior because I have half siblings that are white, and they have family that lived in the valley, which is a very predominantly white place I'd say for California so I'd say when I was little I realized I didn't look like you know my sister or uh, some of my other family and uh, then I started realizing okay maybe there is like an otherness between us but they never really singled me out it to them it's like oh we're all human yeah the human races uh all races or the human race or whatever try to 
make it that kind of monolith of it, but um, probably from when I was a child, but definitely more so once I was actually like out of my element and moved someplace was where I, it was definitely more like, oh, okay, this is a different level. Yeah. What were the struggles that you had when you were in Humboldt County? Like what, uh, what, you, what do you remember struggling the most with? Or what point, what was prominent in your life that you can think of right now? I think being in stores and getting followed for the first time is weird uh, by other white folk and thinking, oh, okay, this is automatically out the gate, what they think. Um, and I guess uh, being at the university for the first year that I was there, because I didn't finish school, so I only went uh, for about a year at Humboldt State, but definitely noticing, oh, okay. These, these people definitely grew up differently than I did or had other privileges yeah. that I didn't realize I didn't have yeah. or help. Um, but I think in an academic setting, sorry, I'm like trying to no, get it's myself. <laughs> um, Today's coffee comes from Pete's Coffee. It is very much so a Bay Area thing. Is it? Is I didn't it? know that. Actually, yeah, because they're the closest Pete's to me up in, in, in Washington is two hours away in Portland. Dang, I didn't Oh, actually, that. no, wait, there's one in the airport. Do they have Dutch Bros up there? They do have Dutch Bros. That's the thing. That it's like an every That was a Humboldt corner. thing for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The closest one was uh, by Antioch or... I was going to say Antioch is yeah. the only one I've my, ever my, been my, to. My friend and I literally went to <laughs> like, hey, you want to go? Yeah, so we in the car and drove out of it. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Um, anyways, that was a nice little tangent. <laughs> I forgot what we were going off of. Uh, I guess anything that you want to kind of mention a little bit about you? What did, what were we say? You were going to say something important. It was, it was about how the, if I felt, when did I start feeling like the difference oh, between yeah. the white folk and humble? And then I was trying to think and there's just, there was just so much. Yeah. If there's anything <laughs> that comes up now or later throughout, just be like, thought of it. And then okay. we just go skip right into that story. Okay. One of the things that um the question are your third generation Mexican American, mm-hmm. I was like, that's cool because my niece and nephew are second generation. So to me, it's I'm curious to to know how what passed down, what didn't pass down, and right. how that affects you and your identity and and have you ever struggled that, with that? I guess I should say. Um, but yeah, so how was it being third generation in a sense? If you felt like that was anything a big deal if this um, question if I'm forming this question in a good way <laughs> no you, you totally are and I really appreciate that you saying that it's cool because I think I get a little insecure about it honestly because I think um you know I feel like I didn't struggle like first gen Mexicans so I have a privilege or I have privileges that I am afforded to with that but I was talking to my partner about this before I came here, but uh, I'm third gen. So that means that my great grandparents were the ones that were born in Mexico and came to the States. So uh, I feel a little bit insecure because I Spanish wasn't passed down to my mom, uh, but my grandparents could speak it. So I always felt kind of a, a disconnect there, especially with other Latinos. They can be pretty harsh about it mm-hmm. in bringing up the fact that, uh, you know, I can't speak Spanish, so I don't know certain nuances or 
you know, little little unique things about the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still grew up in a family that made Mexican food, still called me mija, mm-hmm. still carried a lot of the same values. Uh, yeah, values and um, mindsets. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> exactly. Mindsets. So uh, we're very family oriented. And I feel like if they ever knew that I felt insecure about that, they'd want it. They'd be like, what do you mean? You are yeah. Mexican. Like That's that's just who we are. Yeah. Uh, but I feel because I was raised more on my native side that I have more of a connection to my culture to my indigenous culture than I do to my uh, Latino Mexican culture. But uh, I'm I'm still proud. I'm still very proud. It's still in my blood. I should be proud. But I felt like when I was in Humboldt and I did meet other Latinos and then they found out I didn't speak Spanish, it was kind of like, ah, like, we finally found somebody. (laughs) We finally have somebody to relate to. But, oh, like, not in that way. But They were still pretty nice about it for the most part, but did bring up the fact that they thought it was weird that, oh, how are you, you know, third gen, you don't speak Spanish, like you don't want to, or you don't, you're not proud of it, yeah. or is, is kind of how they would take it. In my head, it makes sense why someone third gen wouldn't speak Spanish. And so I don't know if this is the, another reason why I want to like hear your story and like experiences because. There's a lot of things in my head that make sense that I, so I wouldn't react like that, or at least I'd like to think that I wouldn't react like that, mm-hmm. especially like now. Cause to me, in my eyes, you're completely valid as, as being, um, from, from Mexico, you know, being Latina, because you still have that in you, right? you know, despite you speaking Spanish or not. And that's one of the things that, um, like I wanted people on here as well that don't speak Spanish because in my eyes, that does not make you any less of a person from Latin America, yeah. especially because hello, there's Portuguese, Portuguese, and then you're talking about right. Haiti, right? The the French um, French Creole, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was like, exactly. There's like a lot. Yeah, there's X Y Z reasons why someone wouldn't speak Spanish, and um, yeah, me being first gen, it makes sense why I would speak Spanish because my parents are straight from the motherland. And then I like to say motherland because it's funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then my sister and her kids, they're second gen and they're losing. They don't have that much Spanish in them because my sister isn't really teaching them. Yeah. As well as, as much like it's totally understand. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 there. But their primary language is definitely English. Mm-hmm. Whereas for us, for the longest time, it was Spanish. So in my eyes, it makes sense because if they're second generation, and that's how their Spanish is, then it makes sense why, you know, if they have kids, why their Spanish would be there very little or non-existent. Um, and then it also makes sense to me as people have talked to me, like it's a, mo- it's a way of survival because learning, speaking a different language, I mean, they're judging you based off you look. So based off how you sound, how you speak, like that gives them another way for those people that think like that to not like you for that stupid reason you know mm-hmm. um so a lot of people were saying it's a way for them to survive and to lose an accent because they didn't want to be targeted they didn't want their kids to feel right. like that as how as they felt so in my eyes i understand but then i also understand now like okay well i have i have uh i have the same feelings just on different aspects about myself 
because people, oh, I'm, let me backtrack a little bit. I understand how you would like not feel you were close to your Latin roots because of X, Y, and Z. Your X, Y, and Z and my X, Y, and Z are just different. Right. But we're both, we both both have had those moments and stuff. Um, and I think that's, I think that's what I was going with this. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> but exactly. I, I think uh, my partner brought that up too, was that my grandparents growing up in Arizona, it, it was a whole different ball game back in the twenties then. Uh, so in order to assimilate and in order to not be targeted, it's just something that they didn't feel was a priority to teach my mom and my aunt at least, but my, my mom can get around pretty well with Spanish. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel because of my grandparents, but just, I don't know if because my sister and I were, uh, you know, just couldn't learn as, as pick it up as quick because our primary language was English and everyone around us spoke English. There was just no way to be able to practice it, to be yeah. able to become fluent in it. But you know, it doesn't mean that I can't learn it now or to pick it up. It's just I don't have the, uh, I guess, the practice in to be able to be fluent with it, which is totally up to me to be able to, if I want that. It's also not easy to learn a different language. Even if That's you're so true. It's it. hard. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna tell you this though. I give props to anyone that's learning a different language, just in general. Listening to a lot of music in Spanish, watching TV in Spanish mm. has really helped a lot. Okay. Because I will have subtitles on there as well. Um, and I can, I do the Spanish subtitles because I'm also trying to improve my, my, um, reading, my reading and like mm -hmm. where the accents go and everything like that. So I've been doing it for about a year and it really made a difference. That makes total so, sense. Um, just a little key thing, was like, <laughs> especially because it's hard to find someone you can practice with, mm -hmm. you know, for you to feel comfortable practicing with. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, if you ever want to try that, that's what I, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Especially if it's a film that you already kind of know already word yeah. by word. There you go. That's even to better. Put it like, in Spanish. To, uh, like a Disney movie. Yeah. Like a Disney movie. Boom. Put it in Spanish or put it in whatever language you're trying to learn. Then yeah. Boom. There you go. That's smart. <laughs> You said you had some stories from Humboldt. Are there any that you want to share? I think uh, with Humboldt, I think my insecurity about my Spanish would come up often because I worked retail there for a lot of years yeah. and uh, was a predominantly white area, but there were some Latinos that would come in and especially if they didn't speak English, you know, they would come to me automatically because I look like mm -hmm. I can speak it, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but one day I was ringing a family up and I told them, you know, my Spanish isn't really that good in Spanish and I can understand it more than I can speak it. And the woman who I was ringing up turned to her husband and said, oh, in Spanish, she's pretty, but she doesn't know Spanish. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> kind of started the rest of the insecurity about it. But I mean, I, I it's hard to explain to people, well, I was raised more with my native side than it is without having to give like my whole life story yeah. to strangers that I, I won't even see again, probably. Yeah. But I think uh, it just made me a little more, felt like a magnifying glass was on me more often than not when I was in those spaces. But um, I think that's a problem, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a really big problem within I mean, I can't speak for other Latin American countries, but I can assume that's the same thing. 
that that is definitely a problem with the Mexicanos that if you don't speak Spanish, like they see it as a you problem. Yeah. When they, it's, it's, they fail to see as like, no, 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 no. Like this kid had no choice to choose its language that they're going to be learning. Like it makes, like, again, it just makes sense in my head. So why are we going to blame this one person for not being able to speak this or that? Like, yeah. yes, you can assume that they might speak it, but I don't know. To say that, that's, <laughs> yeah, I was a little taken aback, but I thought, man, I could understand that, but I can't speak it back. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it is easier when you're learning the language to understand it more than yeah. you can actually speak it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think that's just like something that we need to work on and help, in a sense, destigmatize. Like, don't blame the person if they don't speak it. The other reason, yeah. of anything, be like, hey, are you learning? Do you want like a buddy to learn with or something like that? Or like. Can I help teach me? Yeah. Just not rude. I don't know. I think TikTok makes it worse uh, because in every comment section, it's just Uh people going at people's throats. That's just social media in general. I mean, I don't know if you looked at the the comments that were directed towards me in that video. Yeah. Uh, Like, example, Exhibit A within our own community. Yeah, be your own people. (laughs) It's it's your own people. Yeah. It is what it is. but yeah, like your whole identity thing, is there anything that you feel like you're doing for yourself to help reclaim and just make you feel comfortable within your own identity, whether it's doing this or not doing anything? Damn, that's a really good question. Because yeah, I can't really sit here and complain if I'm not actively doing something to to fix my... I mean, that's I just the mean situation. that you're in the beginning stages. I mean, you were 17 when you experienced this, yeah. this so it's not like it's going to happen overnight. Right. You know? Um because it's only fairly recently for me, like, and we're similar age, right? Because I'm 27, mm-hmm. 28, okay. It's only been, like, within the past couple of months to a year that I've been really, like, putting my foot down in my own confidence and be like, it doesn't matter. I'm still Mexican-American no matter what you say or think of me. Because, yeah. again, I had no choice in how I grew up, who, who I grew up around, or, like, things and that. We're at a, like, there, are no, there are things in our life that are out of control. Yeah, And so that's one thing that really helped me be like, I am who I am. And it's not an easy kind of thing to, to go into because, like, I'll admit, the comments that those people made at first initially did bother me. It stings. It, it, it did initially make me cry, I will be honest. Mm-hmm. And um, I think important that people should understand. I know it's social media and it's such a hard thing to try and lasso but people should know that you know words do affect yeah. people and yeah. but then afterwards i'm like this is popcorn this is popcorn that too so i'm like it's like you're getting so mad for what i, I was like and like that's the thing if someone would have told me like a legit reason as to why i shouldn't be using latin x like legit i'm like tell me i was like yeah. i'm a human being that makes mistakes and i think one thing is like this and I did not like the word mestizo. I didn't know is becoming is, is now considered I really, a slur. I didn't know that until recently. Yeah. I didn't know that until TikTok. I didn't know I that had until no idea. Uh, one of the people that I interviewed, Priscilla, was like, "Yeah, that's because like, I'm like, are you kidding me? I had no clue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess I could have written it down, but like, I, I guess in my head also, like, <laughs> okay. I just I'm not used to that being a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, what? I just thought of something. Do you, if someone were to come up to you and ask you, uh, what does Chicana mean? Would you be able, like Chicana, Chicano, would you be able to confidently explain that? I only ask because I wouldn't. Um, my, my <laughs> right. And like, that's yeah. something like, I, I feel like some people would be like, 
how do you not know what that means? Like I can, like my cousins who I grew up next to for years know what it is, but I don't. It's not that, and again, it's not really that it's my, I, I never had the opportunity to really learn about it. Again, I moved at a young age over to Idaho. No one's there talking about no, Chicano issues in Idaho. Yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> and the Chicano is like, of course it's going to be talked about in SoCal and like in the Bay Area. Right. But why is it going to talk about, like, no, it's not going to be talked about in Idaho. So, like, I genuinely don't know. And it's one of the things where I feel like I should be embarrassed. I'm like, you know what? No. Because XYZ things happened and I just never ended up learning about it. Like, Ghost Ride the Whip? You know, I didn't know about that until a couple years ago. <laughs> really? Yeah. I know. And That's like, okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it is okay. And the reason being was because... um when I moved over, around that time period is when it came out. Oh, okay. So yeah. I was when the hyphy movement was so starting. I missed yeah. It. So I, That's I knew okay. about like hyphy, whatever, but I did not know Ghost Ride the Whip was a thing. Uh-huh. Or what it meant or, or what, what context. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So there you go. That's okay. Anyways, do you know what Chicana means? Yes. Because <laughs> I, was like, I was like, if not, I'm going to Google this later on. So I know like... it because my mom would slap me if I didn't. No, she can't. Right. My mom was a pretty not deep in the Chicano movement, but had friends and colleagues from college uh, who were very big in the movement who she supported. Mm-hmm. And to me, being Chicana is being Mexican-American. I would think that that would mean first gen, second gen, third gen. I believe it's anybody born in the States uh, after, if, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe. <laughs> okay, because I wasn't born in the States. No. No, I was the only sibling that was born in, in, in Mexico. So then would you be considered first gen? Yeah. Oh. Oh, my God. I think I think you'd be just Oh, my God. Mexicana. This is, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> For, I have never questioned this in my entire <laughs> life. That's okay. <laughs> um, oh, my God. I think I'm going to go into a rabbit hole later on about this. I'm glad I'm here to experience this thing with you. No, I seriously, I thought, I don't know what to say. At least from from my understanding, I think it's first gen because you're born in the States. Then you'd be considered Chicana because it's Mexican-American. I See, I consider myself Mexican-American because despite growing up, or being born in Mexico, I have a very much American experience. Right. I'm gonna have to get into that. Oh wow! But then again, <laughs> I don't want to police your identity yeah. and say what you are aren't. So if you feel more like you identify with the first gen wave, then I'd say I, go for it. I I definitely do identify as like a first gen because I've definitely had all those experiences. It's like yeah. being the translator of the family having right. to figure out. Your own thing is like, oh, yeah, I just need you to sign this because i going on a field trip or something like that. Like, you have to tell your parents, not just like, here you go. Like, the much, the effort that you had to go into it. Um, Which is, okay. I, (laughs) okay. Um, So, yeah, but I, but I I do like, it's like um, the whole gen z millennial thing like some people that um i have friends that are 21 22 that they're technically considered gen z by when they were born but one of them uh christina anderita as well she said that she is more considered herself more of a millennial because she has more of the millennial struggles and what she's been through so 
makes sense. While if it means that being born in Mexico does not make me a first gen, then then technically, okay, cool. But I think, yeah, I do consider myself first gen because of the experiences that I had coming here, whatever, and deal with that. I grew up here. I came over to the States at nine months. So it's to me, wow. like, while I did go to Mexico like to visit all the time, again, I still had. You grew up here. I grew up here. Yeah. It, what it is. like, And whenever I go to Mexico, like, I never felt Mexican enough because I always had the slightest accent at one point. Um, and I just dressed differently. My mannerisms were different. The slang. I was not up to date on slang. Yeah, the nuances are exactly. completely like, like different. Last year when I went to Mexico, oh my God, my cousins, they use a lot of slang. Like a uh-huh. lot of Mexicanos use a lot of slang. And so, especially like in small towns, or at least that I've noticed. And so my cousins were saying these things and I was like, laughing with them because i'm like i don't know what you said but the words that i heard you say are funny and so like it just blew my mind to be like in such a like a i don't know i understand you but i don't know what you're trying to refer i don't know yeah if that makes sense, that makes sense. T- okay, totally cool. <laughs> right it completely does already anything that, else that you want to mention <laughs> um i guess doubling back on what you were saying about being having the first gen struggles mm-hmm. of translating for your parents and um, having to read documents for them at mm-hmm. such a young age. I was telling my partner this, that I feel, and the reason why I said earlier that I do have a certain amount of privilege is because I didn't have to struggle through that. So I don't know what it's like to have to go through those uncomfortable moments at such a, a young age mm-hmm. as what a lot of my my friends or my exes would describe when they grew up as first yeah. gen, being like almost having to grow up kind of quick because mm-hmm. You got to make sure your family's not getting taken advantage of or. Yeah. Did you ever. Um... I lost it. No, it's okay. It's, I, I lost it. I'm it's sorry. Totally fine. I'm sorry. Alrighty. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that I wanted to go into a little bit is also like schooling. Uh, just briefly. Yeah. Or not briefly, depending. How was that experience for you growing up? Um, there were, there was some pressure for me to go to college because my mom's a college graduate. She got her bachelor's. I think in uh, Chicano studies and sociology, actually it was. So Chicano studies and sociology was her thing. And um, my grandparents really pushed us to go to school and not just finish high school, but to go to college. So when it did come time for me to go to college, uh, I went three semesters and then got academically disqualified for my grades. And then I just decided, you know what, this isn't for me. It just was too much, but continued to live the rest of my years in Humboldt just because I wanted to be able to live on my own for that little bit. But yeah, college was definitely uh, something that my, my mom definitely wanted us to strive for. My dad, I think dropped out. I think he dropped out in middle school. Mm -hmm. So to him, he was just like, if you graduate high school, cool. Yeah. That's great. I get that. Um, it's a different expectation um, now that your that your mom went to college and went to and got her bachelor's. Having that expectation of like go to school, it's like okay. Did you ever feel like okay, you have to get at least a bachelor's, if not more, because my mom got her bachelor's? Yeah. Did you ever feel like that? Yeah, or I feel like to make them proud, I should have done it. But then again, I think I was so, that was the most stressful time in my life. Like I was so young, I should have waited and kind of nosedived right into it and uh, 
just wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, you you experienced something good, bad. You experienced it, and you can only learn from it. Is what yeah. I say. All right. I feel like there's more to that, but I feel like the more we talk, the more we might go into that. So okay. I'm going to move on a little bit. Okay. Okay. So you identify as bisexual, mm-hmm. and I recently um, I was calling myself queer for the longest time because I'm like I just know I'm not straight. Right. So now yeah. I'm just like queer is a great word. It, it is, but I was like I feel like it doesn't fully suit. Me. And then I discovered I'm like I am pansexual. So I enjoy hearing yeah. <laughs> little face off. <laughs> I enjoy hearing other people's stories too because I'm a I'm a fucking late bloomer. Because oh, uh, I suppressed it so hard. And yeah. So I like to hear other people's stories to. In a sense, because it, it, I feel like it brings us together, but also, like, this is how it was for me. How was it for you? Because you don't talk about it as much. You're like, right. I, I, at least I, for me, it wasn't, like, talked about really. Yeah. So, what's your story? <laughs> yeah, it, I, I definitely didn't speak about it when I was, uh, I've known ever since I was, like, a little girl that I was different. Yeah. Always known. Uh, but I think once I got to high school, about 15-ish was when. I think I finally bunkered down and I told my mom mm-hmm. and she literally said nothing, nothing. nothing. And then we never brought it up again. So, and I got embarrassed because I thought this is either a good silence or this is a bad silence. Yeah. So I'm just going to not bring this up again because it upset me. Uh-huh. And uh, we still have it. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah. And no. it's been, thir- it's been about 13 years. years. Yeah. But to me, they have to know. <laughs> I'm just like they they have to have to know and that's fine. I'm um I'm content with not I guess bringing it up mm-hmm. because I feel like if she would have had a problem with it she would have said something. But I remember one day my dad when I was in high school was like, "You bring home a girl, I don't care. You bring home a guy, I don't care." <laughs> and I thought, "All right, that's just where we're going to settle that." That's not a bad way to settle. It's really not. <laughs> But you said you always felt like you know where you were, when you were little. Yeah. Do you, what do you do? You remember like your first moment that you knew? I was in daycare since I was like four, and I want to say around that time, thinking other other girls were cute. Like around the time you would think other other guys would or, mm-hmm. or boys would be cute, mm-hmm. or just like, oh, but it's like the same way I feel about the boys is the same way I feel about the girls. So, okay. And just through my life, I kind of accepted it. And then it wasn't until I got to college and actually became partnered with other women that I was like, okay, this, this makes total sense. Yeah. Did you ever, uh, how old were you when you realized how society viewed it? Hmm. Probably around the MySpace era. So when I was 12, 13, 14, when people started bringing it up like it was a trend, or this is just something that kids are doing because it's quirky and different. They'd want to be bi or they want to be gay. This is... We're going through another phase like that right now. <laughs> I, I feel like, yeah, yeah with TikTok. People are a lot more confident in themselves to come out at younger ages that... I think that's what people are thinking of. Definitely. That I, no. y'all are just want to be like your friends, so you're you're just saying you're this. Yeah. And let me just tell you this. <laughs> if it was a choice, I would not be dating a man. That's I'm lit- just saying, a cis man. I was gonna say it earlier, as much as <laughs> I love women, I'm like, why do I like men too? <laughs> like it's- I'm just saying right now. Okay, so when I was going through that journey, I was like, please let me be gay, please let me be gay, please let me be gay. <laughs> 
No. <laughs> this is how you know it's not a it's choice. Not. It's not. But I will say this, though. I, I can never date a straight man again. I, I've had this exact conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah With no. the cis man, no. It's just, it can't. It's like after dating, like, a, um, a man, a cis man that is not straight, it's like, wow. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know how to say it other than wow. I totally understand. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Um, what my co- so my first moment of realizing, I, I suppress this really hard. But when I think back, the first time that I can think of, I think I was around, I don't know. It was whenever Titanic came out. Okay. Because that scene where um, they're painting painting rose <laughs> when they're painting rose yeah me and my brother were getting trouble for watching that movie oh wow <laughs> yeah and i think that's also another time that i realized I, that was like a non-binary feeling thing like i didn't think about oh yeah it's me and my brother like oh I, I don't know i guess i just saw us as us and didn't think much about the gender aspect of it right so i was just like that was like that moment <laughs> and then i had another moment when i was 13 that i i told different I was like I think I'm bi blocked that out of my head in my journal at 19 I wrote down I think I'm gay I blocked that out of my head yeah completely and it wasn't until I uh, I was at a show that I went to a show and there was a, a guitarist um a woman playing the guitar and I just had this thought like wow she's gorgeous and then I just realized oh my god I've never like openly said it like yeah. that and, like, I just had a moment where I allowed myself to admit that I had an attraction towards this person. I was like, <laughs> it was just like, a, oh, my God. Like, it, it just felt like really, like, duh, like a slap in the face. Like, where have you been? Good morning. Um, so that was just like, a, oh, wow. And then ever since, my life changed for the better. I yeah, say. but that's literally how it happens. And it's when you least expect it. And then it's like oh shit yeah i was like that makes sense interesting no wonder and then i started thinking back at all the friendships that i ever had i'm like oh okay interesting yeah interesting that too (laughs) exactly okay uh so this is like a good little leeway segue into um you identify as gender not conforming Mm -hmm. so when i was first discovering realizing like gender pretty much i came across that and i was like but i don't think that feels like me but i mm-hmm. like i'm assuming a lot of people often um well, like when you mention it they confuse it for being non-binary or like mm-hmm. within the same or yes confuse it with that um how would you describe it to someone who has absolutely no idea for me to be gender non-conforming and it's different than non-binary <laughs> no, you're good. Um, I mean, are, are there is is it like pansexual and bisexual? Is it really much of a difference? Like well, GNC and non-binary? Like, I I there probably yeah. is a difference, and someone's probably gonna flame me for that. But <laughs> you I, know, how about we just we have this discussion because I'm one, you're something else. Like, how do we relate? How do we not relate? Um, but I guess because uh. Chancy, like to me, 
And I'm also really loose with my pronouns too. Cause I put she, they for my pronouns. Mm-hmm. I understand that I can present femme. I look femme mm-hmm. from, from first glance. So I'm not going to get agitated if I'm referred to with female pronouns. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really loose with it. It doesn't bother me. Uh, but it does make me feel very validated when people do refer to me as they or something a little more neutral. That's why I don't understand why people think Latinx is such a detriment uh, because it's just something for people to identify with and, and have for themselves. So I guess GNC for me is like, I guess I can kind of define my gender in my own way by being presenting I don't know how to explain I know, it's totally fine. I was like, I didn't mean to put you on the screen. No, it's that. okay. Um, in my eyes, the reason when I was like kind of first going into seeing, oh, this seems interesting. Let me read more about it. Um, the reason for me, I, I, I don't, to me, I am who I am. And I never really saw, like, yes, you present more like a man. Or yes, you look more like a feminine person and everything in between and I just am here but I doesn't mean that I am I don't know <laughs> now yeah, it's, um, it's it's hard it's like what is gender it is what it is and yeah. like, I was born a certain way I was raised as a woman and I understand that and I also understand that society views me mm-hmm. as a woman and that's probably not going to change anytime soon but I know deep down that I am non-binary because I, I I've noticed I view the gender differently than other people whereas to me it was never like yeah I was there but I never realized it or focused on it like to me it was like why suddenly can I not do this because this this person can do it, but why can't I? Right. Like, um, whenever we go down to Mexico, and this really has to go a lot with like the gender is a very strong thing within the the Latin community. Right. Um, when I was sixteen, and my cousins were sixteen, I wasn't allowed out past a certain time, or like I had to be home. I couldn't have any sleepovers whenever I'd go to Mexico, and I was like, "But my cousins are right here. They're doing this, and we're going to go together. Like, what the hell's the difference?" Mm-hmm. And then when I went last year, me at 26 and my cousins being 16, 17, we were out doing the same thing. We were out late. And that kind of goes to show like the 17, 16 year olds had the same freedom and lack of responsibilities than me, (laughs) who was 10 years older. And that was something that I struggled with as a little kid. I'm like, how is this any different? How is... Like, I just to me in my head, I'm like, why do we have to create a way where, why do we have to have this divide? Like, why, why do we have to have this divide there? And, and then I was talking with a friend, um, my first non-binary friend, and I was saying, this was when I was thinking of using they, she pronouns. And I was like, I love the ambiguity of, of, of being they. Like, I don't get to be judged off my gender. I, I get to be like. A person in a, in a way is kind of how I see with like people with tattoos. Like <laughs> um, I got job uh, when I was looking for this new or when I was at this new job, they asked, "Oh, would you um, work for this place if they asked you to cover up your body modifications?" I was like, "Hell no!" 
I was like, that does not define what I can and cannot do. So in a sense, that's how I kind of view my gender is like, I was raised a woman and I present as a woman. What does that have to do anything between my abilities? So I think that's how I'm trying to describe it. Right. Because you... (laughs) <laughs> and like you're saying, you're tripping Mexico. It's like I'm one of the guys. So what? It, why am I being divided by my gender, even though I'm older than these kids? Like I'm just one of the dudes. So how come I can't go too? Yeah, and they were still kind of on me about it too. Like, oh, don't be out so late. Blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, ladies don't do that. Yeah. Ladies don't do this. And well, and I don't even consider myself a lady. So, so I was like. Whatever. Anyway, yeah. so that's a conversation I will not get into my parent or my family in Mexico with unless like it comes up. I'm like, that's a conversation that I don't. <sighs> right. And it's hard because you don't know how they're going to react to it. And definitely generationally, it's there's just a difference with how we accept it rather than how they accept it. And yeah. that's another reason why I feel like I'm not. I'm not going to waste my energy being like, I am binary, non-binary. You have to refer to me like this, blah, blah, blah. Because I'm like, why am I going to waste my energy on people who, who aren't, aren't willing gonna to understand? Get it, yeah. or, aren't going to get it, aren't willing to understand, aren't willing to try to understand. And yeah, that's kind of where I sit. Like, that's why I'm kind of right now in a moment where I'm like trying to figure out pronouns. I Part of me is like, I use they them because I'm like, then people will use it and not just only she. Because I, I do like they, she. I don't know why, but it feel really suited to it. But mm-hmm. if like, but no one ever uses they. Right. <laughs> so I'm just like, just give me the affirmation. <laughs> right. Um, but then at the same time, I'm like, call me anything. I don't care. That's like my vote. I'm like, yeah. you see me as this. Okay, cool. But if you can throw in a they, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. The, the thing to me that gets me, though, is, like, if it's, like, a a bigot or something, I'm, like, no, 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 no. Yeah. You cannot – you cannot – you don't deserve to call me by my gender or whatever. And I was thinking, of like, you don't deserve to call me she. But then last night – so I smell weed. And <laughs> last night I had a moment where I'm, like, well, wait. If I feel like they is more close to my heart – then wouldn't it be better, like, the people that I care about call me they? Like, mm-hmm. And, like, fuck the she from the bigots, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, does that make sense? Because I have that no, thought. it totally like, does. Huh. And it was really sweet because, like, this was the first time that I saw my friends since um, since basically, like, like, coming out and being, like, oh, yeah, like, they, she, and all that. So I hear them be, like, they. Oh, yeah, It's sorry. validating. Like, <laughs> it is validating. Like, it oh, feels good. Right. Well, and I was telling you, I was, like, are you guys are my friends? guys can call me what you want and like the fact that they were trying and like I had no idea how good that would feel yeah and how much it actually meant I had no idea um except for this one time that I so what I do for work is I relief at different hospitals on the vet tech and okay um there was one hospital that I was like okay I'm gonna introduce myself and then say they got bleep and I managed to get that moment the, the first and only moment out of the hospitals I had been at yet and after I was like, yeah, just FYI, I'm more comfortable with them. And then everyone went around the room and started saying their pronouns. That's awesome. Um, their pronouns. And I was like, look oh what I started. God. Look what I started. Oh my God. <laughs> and I just was like, I kid you not, there was like 15 people at least. 
and I wasn't expecting it. And I was just like, I, I was so thrown away that I didn't even focus on their names. Cause I was just like, Oh my God, this is what it feels like to be inclusive, right. <laughs> like to be included. And it just felt so, I got, I, I got emotional and I felt really happy. And I was like, that's really sweet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I had no idea. Do you have any moments like that, by the way? Because I feel like we could use some positivity and some light in, in life. Um, I guess when I first met my partner three years ago, there. How would that be? Assigned male at birth. A AMAP. AMAP. Uh, they also identify as as GNC. They they use they them pronouns explicitly. When we first met, the first thing they asked me was, what, what are your pronouns? And I had never been asked that before by any partner, by, uh, you know, any, any friend. Not that I expect that all the time, yeah. but I, it was unexpected. And yeah. I was like, oh, shoot. Okay. You're with it. Awesome. <laughs> but to me, that was very validating in the sense that, you know, you don't want to get it wrong right off the bat. So let me just ask you up front. And yeah. no one had ever put in that effort before. So I thought that was really sweet <laughs> and um they're also latino and native as well but they are more connected to their latino side than they are their native okay. and they also feel like their spanish isn't good even mm -hmm. though i think they speak great spanish mm -hmm. and uh like how you were saying you're first gen and there's still this insecurity and i'm thinking man i'm third gen and i have all this insecurity i had no idea that first gens feel this way too like it's a uh, very different it's a beautiful thing to know that you're not alone absolutely yeah yeah and like this is an exhibit or like just plain reason as to why i wanted to do this as well is because i know i'm not the only one that thinks these things but it's different when you hear it from someone exactly when someone actually you hear them say it and you're like no prompt no nothing they just say it and like oh my god I felt like that. Yeah. There's just like a comfort that comes along with it. So yeah, it's really sweet and cute that, that both of you have that. Both of you can relate to that. Yeah. You know, oh, that's, so cute. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So I usually like to kind of end talk about mental health as like the big ending yeah. conversation uh, thing, because cool. it's a big Most thing. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> it's a big thing. Absolutely. It's, um, it's something that I I want to help break, break stigmas about, just in general. Um, like, I'm very, very open about talking about my mental health and, um, like, 90% of whatever it is that I've gone through, like, <laughs> I'm going through. Um, so, yeah, whatever you're comfortable speaking about, if you want to talk a little bit about your journey with mental health, like, when you first realized you started having, you know, issues with it, and then anything along the lines till now <laughs> okay um when i was about i want to say eight or nine uh i was put in therapy uh per my mom's request and because i was having a lot of anxiety and i noticed at a very young age probably seven eight nine started getting panic attacks and uh it wasn't until about eight or nine i was put on prozac for anxiety i was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder or they call it GAD the GAD you have the GAD I have the GAD <laughs> and uh uh you know I stayed on meds till about middle school and 
haven't haven't done anything as of late to uh, either go to therapy or go get meds now, but I have been navigating pretty well, I'd say. Um, it's just something that my anxiety will always be looming or be in the back of my head, but I can't let it control me. Like I was totally freaking out about today, but I thought I deserve to go out and do something that I think is going to be fun and productive for myself. So, you know, uh, it's crazy. Okay. Sorry. I'll let you talk and then I'll say my part. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, You're not the first person to say that they were super nervous about this. And in my head, I'm like, I'm the nervous one. (laughs) And you know, like the things, some of the things that make you nervous, like the more, that you talk about it or the more you do something there's some things that okay it gets better you can do this with ease now um this is one of those things where i'm I'm an introvert my social battery is close to the floor so for me to do this (laughs) i completely understand it's it's like and the pandemic didn't make it any easier on us i feel hold on i feel like all my social skills okay in terms of that yes but this is how I realized how much of an introvert I was. I was like, I didn't feel the effects of the pandemic. Because you were doing everything Months. normally. Yeah. Normal, yeah. And I, I also did have to, I, I was working out. Totally. Normal. Like, I was one of those people that just, like, medical field, you, you go to work. And I couldn't work from home. Um, so I didn't feel a difference. The only thing that I noticed was different that, like, I was like, ah, about with shows, concerts. First one I went to was, like, two years off. A year and a half or something like that. Oh, I had so many shows canceled. That's the biggest yeah. one. The, yeah. I've only got to two since. I'm just like, <laughs> like I need it. But um, why did I mention that? I don't know. But anyways, anything about uh, your mental health that you want to talk about? But I feel with the pandemic, it has uh, made a lot of, for us who have anxiety or, or depression, has made it a, a tad worse. Um, uh, I think in the Latino community, mental health is such a taboo thing. I, I think no matter the generation, I think my mom is just a little more like open-minded and willing to get help and stuff. But That's actually a really good point, Conver- topic of conversation. So being, that's, a, that's actually another big, huge difference. Yeah. Being first-gen, mental illness, more taboo. I feel like being third-gen yeah for you more already. open mm-hmm. that's my impression and you pretty much kind of confirmed it in your in your um, yeah your life your point of view your <laughs> your you <laughs> um but yeah let's talk about that like how was that for you um i mean my my mom's side of the family seems pretty open about it and stuff my dad's not so much mm-hmm. um He's native and his family's native, so I I just don't think that was ever really an option for for them. Um, I think maybe because my mom worked at a university and had insurance, it was just a, another privilege that I had to be able to go to therapy. Mm-hmm. That is a huge privilege afforded uh, that not a lot of folks get that opportunity to, and even in adulthood, uh, not having enough insurance from working and stuff to be able to to get the help that people need. Um, you you saw that your first panic attack was around seven to nine. Years yeah. Old. Do you remember the first one, like what happened or like where you were and stuff? Um, 
I think 9-11 really triggered a lot of my anxiety mm-hmm. for some reason. We were really little kids then, yeah. but I remember the day that it happened and being so scared, like something was going to happen. Yeah. And I remember even after that, like months after that, um, being in my living room and pacing around in circles and breathing really hard and not knowing why I was so scared and yeah. feeling like, why am I feeling like I'm going to die? Yeah. Why am I so fucking scared? Waking up in the middle of the night with that feeling, like my stomach hurting and like, and like my heart racing and feeling like, why do I feel like I'm in danger? Why do I feel like something's going to, bad's going to happen? And just being so anxious and scared all the time was the theme of when I was a little girl. I was always scared of everything and very cautious, very um, soft-spoken, but uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about for you? For you said you felt me. the first time. So the first time that I felt a panic attack coming on and the, fir- the first time that I actually experienced a panic attack, years apart. The first time I felt it, I was, yeah, because I think I was around between 13, 14, 15 years old or so, Um, probably 14, 15. We were at the store. I was with my mom and we were in the clothes sections. And you know how like where the clothes are, there's usually carpet on the floor. And once you're on like the walkway, it's tile or something else. So we were there and I suddenly felt like something bad was going to happen if if I stayed on the carpet like I just was I felt really uncomfortable like my heart my chest like I was like I I don't know this is like it's just really weird I don't like this I was like and I told my mom mom, can we go over there please please go over there like I I was so desperate I was like I need to get off this carpet the floor is lava like I need to go and it was so weird I was like all I needed to do was just step off this carpet and I suddenly felt better. Mm. It was so weird. I was like, and it just came out of nowhere. I don't recall where it came from. And then the first time that I experienced a panic attack, it was, um, I can't, was that a panic attack? Or was it the one in my car? (laughs) (laughs) Which panic attack was that I experienced? Um, (laughs) the first time I had a panic attack, it was, uh, the feeling that everyone thinks I'm having a heart attack, I'm dying. I'm gonna die. Yeah. I'm like, there's something wrong, I'm dying. I remember yeah. I had just gotten to my car. I have absolutely no idea what was going on beforehand. And I was in my car, I started breathing really, really heavily. And I was like, my chest, I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And then uh, I cried super violently. And then I remember I was like, thinking, I was like, I'm not dying. And I was like, is this anxiety? Oh my god! And then I managed myself, like, managed to not call the call and like nine one one to be like, I'm dying. Yeah. As like you know, a lot of people end up experiencing. Yeah. And so um, I was like, Oh my god, what the fuck was that? And it was really, it was really weird to me. Um, it is weird. It, it it's is, a it strange really ass weird. feeling. And it's like nothing. It's like it, nothing to compare it to. No, and uh, I'm so glad. I hate them. I like. People who experience panic attacks on a regular basis, I, I feel for them because I just want to take that feeling away. Yeah. Because it's like, it's, ah, yeah. I want to take it away. It's awful. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. No, not at it's all. Awful. It's a terrible experience. Um, yeah. Anything else that you want to mention on that? No. 
I can't think of anything else <laughs> other okay. than I'm scared. Um, I did have a question. So yeah, a lot of the people that I talk to, um, I we always end up talking about medications also because I bring it up. Um, <laughs> so you having tried medications also at a younger age, do you feel like, how do you feel about medications nowadays? I think... I think if there's a huge difference in the way that medical tech has advanced since I was taking meds when I was a kid, I feel like now from what I've seen from my other family members who are on different meds, uh, it's the symptoms aren't as harsh and they're able to finally piece in what they've been missing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know why I, ha I haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> but just uh, laziness but um i think uh yeah there's just more of a opportunity for people to get what they need now than and it's not as I, maybe there's some stigma about it still with people when it comes to meds and stuff but i i think it's fair game yeah i I think it's easier for me because I, while it's not human medicine that I have a background in, it's still medicine that I, like, I know how medications work. I know how, how XYZ is supposed to help you in that. So I think that's where, that's a privilege that I have that I'm realizing it, that I was able to go to school and, um, and get the education that I did. Mm -hmm to be able to know this and learn this i was like i don't know that i would have this opinion if i didn't go to school if i didn't ah, go into the medical okay. world like i don't right. i don't know honestly right um would you have the same trust exactly I guess? yeah yeah and i honestly i don't know i don't think so <laughs> um but it you know it's it's hard to say now but but yeah um where was i going with this yeah i'm very open about talking about medications because yeah. i'm like Actually, I have a question. <laughs> how, um, with so with your family, mm -hmm. how was it perceived? You you seem like more you're able to talk about it more with your mom than it was your dad. Like, let's say someone mentioned in mental illness. Oh, this person has anxiety. Like within the family, how was that your experience? Like, did they see it as a bad thing, a good thing, or neutral thing? I was always told it came from my dad's side. <laughs> <laughs> I was always told because my dad also had panic attacks from a young age and anxiety. Um, he grew up in a really stressful environment. So I don't know if that's like a generational thing that just got passed down through my DNA. Um, but my parents are also boomers. They had me in their 40s. So I would say they're a little more of a, a different generation than some of the parents that would be parents of kids my age. Mm -hmm. um, so they're view of mental health is a little different but I feel like my mom both had the very empathetic side but she also had the very boomer side of get a grip and mm -hmm. you know come on like we gotta go to school <laughs> you gotta get through this just like all of us have anxiety to some degree and we just have to get over it yeah but I think there were ways in which they felt empathy toward how scared I was feeling because it really did affect me and it I don't think other than me and my dad I can't really remember if any of my other family members dealt with anxiety or if they you know kept it hush because that's just how their generation was raised um but I feel like they had they they 
did what they could with what they had when they were raising me. So I kind of have to just accept it. I like that you have a very open kind of view on that. To me, it makes me feel like it's a healthy relationship. Yeah. So I, I like correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, but like it seems like you were, did you feel comfortable talking about it with them? For the most part, yeah, but I also felt very insecure because I felt like I was being a baby about certain things. Like, I'm having anxiety, but it's like, what is it about? Like, like, we all have things we're scared of or or things we're afraid of or things that make us uncomfortable. So I think for me, my anxiety was just so, like, it was just holding me back so much with uh, just going to school was a huge stressor on me. And um yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> I was like, I knew we were going to get to this. Yeah. There we go. Because anxiety, my mental health affected my school. Yeah. So how did your mental health affect oh, you man. schooling? Um, pretty much elementary through middle school. I want to say even through high school a bit. I was like a the the golden child, I guess. You get those memes where you're like, oh, it's the golden child. And now I'm like, oh, now I have all these issues. Oh. Um, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, like they had high, like, oh yeah, this person's gonna do something. Yeah, and they were in the gate like, program and they're smart. Now you're the gifted burnout kid. Kind of yeah. thing, right? Okay, gotcha. Burnout is definitely a great word. Um, but I think what affected me most during that time was I wasn't much of a partier in high school, and I was very introverted and didn't do any of that. Once I got to college, I was a party monster Mm -hmm. and I developed a really bad alcohol habit that I was finally able to kick in 2016. Mm -hmm. So I've been sober since then, but that definitely was a huge catalyst for pretty much within that five years of me being in humble, like totally changed my life that, uh, I don't want to say I'm still picking up the pieces from there, but I'm still kind of recovering from what occurred. Yeah. Yeah. I I like not like that you mentioned this, but this is something I can relate with you. Um Okay. I have been sober from alcohol for a year and a half. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Congrats to you. <laughs> or congrats to both of us. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, um, coffee. <laughs> I have found that uh in terms of terms of alcohol, I have now switched over to sugar. <laughs> The first thing I craved hardcore after I stopped drinking was candy. It's just sweet. It's just, yeah. Cookies. Totally understand that. Cookies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I understand that because for, I, I stopped because I finally got to a point where I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I had blocked out and I was drinking by myself at my home. And I was like, I hate how I feel you physically mentally emotionally emotionally yeah. it was like my birthday week too so i was like um so like yes yeah. and no because it's kind of like a considerate like also like an extra little celebration of not drinking um but yeah it was one of the best decisions i made for myself absolutely and like do you want to share that share but like yeah is there any stories good bad neutral stories that you want to share about um kind of your experience with, with the alcohol, um, the, the, yeah, the issue that you had with alcohol and kind of how you got to your breaking point. I think 
because I was so sheltered in, in middle school, high school, and I didn't get that out of my system before I left, uh, definitely uh, helped that. But once I got to a college town and a college environment and I started meeting other people, that was just like, I loved partying. It was my outlet. Like I felt like I was in my element when I was partying. I felt like I was totally myself and I was drinking, but I was blacking out multiple times and scary things can happen when that occurs. Mm -hmm. So finally, when I did move back to the Bay and my mom did start seeing that uh, I was struggling with, Mm -hmm. with this addiction, she finally sat me down and was like, you know, you really got to look into yourself for this because this can't continue. This has to stop. And I stopped right there. And it was hard, but I had to realize like me moving and putting myself in this weird position with school and then getting kicked out was like, I was just not in the right environment. And I knew I needed to go home. I knew I needed to go home to heal. And I knew being secluded in Humboldt or feeling like I was secluded in Humboldt um, in this very white space uh, with strangers, it, that was just my way of being able to connect with other people like me. And we all drank and we all partied and it was just what we did. But uh, that's why I think it's it's cool that we relate on that level of you being in Washington and me being kind of in a place like PNW. It's pretty much like a little Oregon up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you get it. Like you, I would think you understand the, the nuances of how different it is, especially being from the Bay. It's just like you know, not not many people know what Ube is, and, and yeah, or have tried it. And I'm like, you are missing out. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyways, back to you. <laughs> but um, my partner doesn't drink, and they haven't drank the whole relationship that I've been with them. So I think that also helps a lot in that support. Oh, definitely. Uh, really lucked out with that because I don't know if I'd be able to. It totally changed the way I had to date people and how I had to introduce myself and say, you know, I can't meet you in a bar. It's just not going to work. Or. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's for the best. Mm-hmm. Definitely is. Yeah. Um, are you okay with like talking a little bit more about like the socialization aspect? Because sure. alcohol is a key <laughs> thing to socializing with anything. Yeah. Especially with like Latinos. Like, have you it's seen ingrained. me jokes? Like, yeah. oh yeah, it's a baptism. Oh, but you know. It's we're a two-year-old party. Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, stuff like that. So it's like, it's super engraved in so many cultures and yeah. society in general that it's especially latino culture yeah especially like, mexican culture you navigating not drinking alcohol anymore and being surrounded by it in all sorts of different ways at the time when i did decide to quit i was in a four-year relationship with another person and it definitely changed the way in which we interacted with each other from then and a year later, we ended up breaking it up because I wasn't going to not stop or I wasn't going to drink anymore. And they just weren't in that mindset to, they were also uh, Mexican undocumented mm-hmm. and they had, you know, a whole uh, slew of things in their life that I think they were coping with partying and, mm-hmm. and so was I. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, I think, and especially since I'm Native, drinking is so huge in the Native community too, unfortunately, that I get kind of bombarded from both sides of it. And uh, (laughs) it was kind of hard to navigate at first, but for the most part, my friends, especially from college too, they supported my decision Mm -hmm. and they knew that I was going to be transitioning to this you know, where I'm not going to be able to go with them to a cabin trip or to go drink with them anymore. Like it was just something that I had to kind of slow down for myself, but I'm really glad that they, besides my ex took it very well and understood that I was doing this for, you know, myself and it was going to be a permanent thing. I think everyone thought it was going to be like, Oh, she'll do it for three months and then she'll start back up again. But I'm uh, (laughs) pretty strong in it. So I'm really happy that you ended up having your mom to help you with that because a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. And a lot of people don't, especially if you're a POC. And I think that's a part of me wonders if that was like quote unquote privilege that you had as your mom being second. I would say so. Being third gen. Yeah. The understanding and stuff like that. It, um, it makes me, this is why like there's a benefit and a joy to being whatever generation that you are and um that is a benefit that you had because i had to decide to do it on my own <laughs> and my dad one time joked around was like oh me, los hijos me salieron borrachos or oh, my kids came out drunks you know jokingly because mm-hmm. my sister um it sounds harsher than what he meant it as. Yeah. Um, he was but probably like, um, being like, yeah, like he was joking like joking around because, like, me and my brother, like, had, or my, whoop. Oh, shoot, they go back. I, I didn't realize these chairs rolled back a little oh, bit. Shit. I thought it was going to fall. Um, yeah, because, like, my brother had, like, turned 21 or something. And then me, and my sister, and my brother were trying to figure out so where we can go to drink or something like that. And we just kept talking about drinking, let alone I was still drinking at that time. And he said that, and I was like, "Oh yeah, we kind of do drink a lot, a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know." <laughs> um, but then, where was I going with this? I don't know where I was going. With uh, this, but... Generationally, talking about the oh, benefits of yeah. Um, well, I guess that's actually pretty much it. Like my dad said something, but he didn't. I I guess I also has to go with like how well I hid how how much of a drinker I was. Um, or at least that I understand. I hit it, yeah. and people just I totally understand that. Like, look the other way, uh-huh. um, because I have a family member who is his uh, has alcoholism, but no one says anything. It's kind of like it's his thing. Yeah. So, I that's a first gen problem, possibly. Um, but yeah, um, and I also wrote on here. Okay. I think that's what I was trying to say, but I wanted to get back mm-hmm. into it. So all I'm aware of is that with indigenous people, they have a higher rate of alcoholism. Yes. And when you mentioned that, I'm like, okay, you have the Latin side and then you have the indigenous side. So yeah. the double whammy. Yeah. So, so my brain's going like stats wise. It's just statistically this was going to happen to you in a sense. And yeah. uh, have you ever like thought about that? I think of where I would have ended up all the time if I would have continued or even if I would have stayed living in Humboldt and I never moved back down. Mm-hmm. I think of it all the time because I don't think I would have stopped drinking if that didn't happen. Um, 
but I, it, and it's strange too, because now that I think of it growing up, I never saw my mom or my dad have a drink in their hand at all. They, my mom didn't start re-drinking until I was like in high school, but my dad's been sober for, I want to say almost 40 years now. Wow. He got really addicted and quit really young too. Uh, so it is a, a reoccurring theme for my family, but I think my I, it, and I think it is a privilege to be able to grow up with parents that don't have substance abuse issues too. Yeah. Uh, because most of my friends in my life are like, you know, my dad gave me my first beer or I, I think it's ingrained in our cultures because of the colonization, I think just the trauma from, I think that's what we have in common, the yeah. Latino and the indigenous side. Yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, she's on the ceiling, but I lost it. Um, Sorry. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. Um, I actually want to talk a little bit about like my story with alcohol, yeah. just because I wasn't expecting to talk about this, but um, again, this really ties into my mental health and like I want to be open yeah. about this. Um, so I remember <laughs> as a kid, I would, uh, my dad would bring back like a bottle of tequila from Mexico and I'd be like, slowly yeah. little like sips from it here and there and the next thing I knew I finished the bottle and I was like whoopsies I was like well how did they not know or maybe they did know but they didn't say anything uh-huh. and so that's how I remember I, I remember how it felt I remember like the numbing feeling like the it felt I liked it and mm-hmm. then um when I had my first job I had a co-worker who was over 21 and he didn't care about giving me alcohol could go and, buy it for you yeah, yeah totally and uh it was a point where i was stirring up every night because i would overdo it and uh yeah. and then i got to 21 and i think it was like i would go out to do it with friends la, 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 here and there and it was mostly i never thought it was a problem i always thought it was like i was just a lightweight i'm, I'm just like yeah yeah Right. Oh, I overdid it, so I'm throwing up on this bush, whatever kind of thing. Like, I didn't think much of it, mm-hmm. um, especially because I, when I was able to control it, I had a great time. I had such a great time. So I was like, I just need to have better control, and we're good. Right. And for the longest time, I was in denial that it was all or nothing for me, and I, I was so strongly denial in it, but then... um. There were times, and, and like my ex had brought it up a couple times, and he was like, I don't know if I can continue to do this. Like, mm, I explicitly told you. Yeah, yeah. like, um, there was some, it was like an embarrassing thing that had happened, and he was always usually there to kind of like help get me home, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Yeah, this is a little this is a little much. And that was like kind of my first time somewhat admitting to myself. Not only I was saying it to him, but I was also somewhat admitting it to myself. Like I know that this, that sometimes I get get a little carried away. Like I was trying to form it in a way that was like, I didn't want it to be as severe as I thought it it actually was. And then uh, I started to really kind of watch it from there. I was like, I don't want to lose someone that I care about because of this. And uh, I did try hard during that time, but I didn't quit. And it wasn't until I had a scary moment where I blacked out drunk, drove from Daly City to Sacramento. And you don't remember it? I remember very briefly, like, um, getting my car, deciding to go, 
being on the Bay Bridge, very little I remember, but next thing I know, I'm in Sacramento. Yeah. Oh and that was like one of the worst one of the worst things that happened throughout those days. Oh, um wow. I had a <laughs> I had a final the next day. Yeah, and that okay, was a, so you were rushing to go back up. Uh no, I had a final the next day in the opposite direction. <gasps> I missed oh, my final. Oh <laughs> okay. <laughs> I miss Come on, you don't friend. go to UC Davis. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh my God. it was. Uh, I don't. I don't know what was going through my mind. I was just like in a self-destructive um, moment, but it also ties down with the school. I was so overly stressed, and I, I kind of had I been diagnosed with ADHD sooner, I don't think I would have been as. I, I wouldn't have been as stressed in school, mm-hmm. and I don't think I would have had the issues that I had. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah, that that happened, and it was, it was scary. It's an eye opener afterward. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was scary because even in that weekend, I was in denial. I felt I bought more alcohol. Yeah, I bought more alcohol. (laughs) That that's not when it stopped. I would have done the same thing. Yeah. No, I went to the store. I I got some more alcohol, and I actually ended up because I ended up renting like a like a hotel room, and I didn't go back home. No, I stayed in the freaking. And I lied to my parents. I, was, I, I lied to them. I was like, I'm staying with a friend. They have no idea that this happened. Um, I actually passed out in the bathtub. And I was like, wow, I could have drowned. Yeah. I was like, that's stupid of me. Because I was that, like, that toxic. Inebriated. Yeah. And it was it was scary, but that didn't stop me. I completely that was, understand. I was like 21, 22. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't quit until 20. Six, I think it was my 26th birthday that I quit. Wow. Yeah, because, and it wasn't even like, it's crazy. It wasn't even like a big thing. You just stopped. I just realized like I, the hangover, realizing I drank the entire bottle. I was like, I can't keep doing this anymore. Yeah. And for me, as someone with anxiety already, having the hangover anxiety the night after, I don't know why that didn't stop me in my tracks to begin with. But I was just, again, like you were saying, so in denial and just needing something. Denial is a strong thing. Yeah. Denial is a really strong thing. And it was when I told my psychiatrist that I, that I, that I don't drink. And she's like, oh, and you quit during a pandemic? I was like, Oh, I was like, yeah, because a lot of people is picked up drinking. I'm not exactly. gonna lie though. I did. I I became a stoner. I 100% became a stoner. And while my goal is eventually not to smoke, because I know that I don't fully. I think it would. I know that it would benefit me not to. Um, I'm at the point right now where like I can control who I am. Whereas when I was drinking, I I didn't. I don't like who I was. Yeah. And with this, I was like, I can kind of control it. And like, it's the safest, it's the safer option for me right now. And um, the goal is eventually not to, not to smoke. But I was like, until now, this is my one and only advice. And if I'm not harming myself or anyone else, then I am going to just deal with this. And I had no idea it was called California Sober. I learned that recently too. It's um, I started, you know, because I was never a stoner until I moved to Humboldt County, and Humboldt County is known for their weed. (laughs) It's or the pretty much the 
entire Pacific Northwest yeah. is considered a weed capital. So from there, it was just like a given. It was just going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, you don't black out on weed. There's certain things that you, it's just not up to the standard of alcohol. But I would call myself sober and people online in the community are like, you can't call yourself that. I won't call myself California sober. <laughs> I just say I'm sober from alcohol. Me too. Yeah. Because of the time. Um, so are there, is there, are there any like last minute things that you want to mention? Um, I think what you're doing is extremely important. And especially coming out of the pandemic with a lot of us, uh, you know, haven't been able to gather and, and whatnot. I think this is a really good project to work on to see how we're all doing as Latinos. And uh, definitely to see the similarities between each other that we're not as much different as we think. So thank you for this opportunity. Oh, I really well, appreciate it. <laughs> this has been awesome. Yeah, I'm really happy about that. Um, I like to end with like some some fun facts. So you being from Durango, Pancho Villa, that's Pancho Villa's home state. Is it? Yeah, it's his home state. Um, oh, I should know that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it, it, this is why I do it. So we can all learn something. Um, it has scenic waterfalls. It has been the setting for various Mexican, Mexican and American movies. And it was recognized as a state of Mexico in 1825. Oh, so it's barely, it hasn't even been 10 I was going to say, that's a pretty recent state. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, there we go. Um, but yeah, that is that is it. Do you have any shout outs or social media that you want to share or promote um, something? Instagram, TikTok, Exorpiona. Uh, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, uh, seriously, thank you so much for being a part of this. Thank uh, you. Sharing yourself there with me I know it's a little little scary intimidating but yeah thank you to anyone that is listening and until next time thank you